going to start by wishing you all a happy Valentine's Day. So I was preparing this, I thought, well, that's an interesting thing. David wants me to speak on prayer and fasting, gloomy, and here it is, Valentine's Day. Um, but actually, I think that we'll see through the message that there's a, a lot of commonality between a love relationship and Valentine's Day and fasting. And so the topic this evening is fasting. And I thought about it. I have some experience with fasting. And I thought about it, how to describe, how to best characterize fasting. And I concluded by thinking that it's a little bit like coffee. So how many people raise your hand if you drink coffee? OK. Now, now raise your hand if you really thought coffee was great and wonderful and tasted really good the first time you drank it. Yeah, not too many. And I, and I, I tell people I don't drink coffee because I'm a nonconformist. I think you have to be kind of pressured into liking it or at least come to appreciate it's an acquired taste. And, and I would propose that fasting is much similar to that. That it's not something natural, something maybe that we think is easier we like at the very beginning, but it's an acquired taste that we could have. So I'd like to do um, this evening <coughs> is look at as I studied for this, I thought, you know, it, it became apparent to me that there's a very different view of fasting in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I'd like to quickly go through some examples of fasting in the Old Testament and then look at it in the New Testament and then talk about some practical things about fasting. In the Old Testament, fasting is petitioning God. It's for mourning sackcloth and ashes, repentance. It's part of the law, something that you do to please God or obtain his favor or somehow ask for his mercy, get his attention about something. It's, it's something serious is happening in you. You call for a fast. And in the Old Testament, it's often collective. People are coming together collectively to seek God and, and ask his mercy. Um, it's for a petition, which means a request that I have. We see this in David, in 2 Samuel 15, when David had this child with Bathsheba, and Nathan came, and then the, the little boy was sick. And it says that David fasted and went into his house and spent nights lying on the ground. And after a week, the little boy died, and then they were afraid to come and tell him, and eventually they did. And it says that after, when they told him he's dead, then David got up from the ground. After he washed, put lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And then he went to his own house and, and had food and ate. And so there's a separation between worshiping God and coming to his presence and fasting. It's not combined. Daniel. We see the same thing, that, that um, the 70 years of desolation was going to come about, and Daniel said that he turned his face to God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Esther is a very similar thing. The whole nation of Israel was going to perish, and she's talking to Mordecai, and she says to him, 
tell everybody to fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night and day. And I will do the same, and then what is done, I'll go to the king, and then of course that famous line, if I perish, I perish. It's a, that God put us there, her there for a time, such a time as this. So it's beseeching, it's a specific request that people are collectively coming together for. Nehemiah, we see the same thing. Nehemiah came in the first chapter, he sees the walls broken down, and, and what did he do? He sat down and he wept. And then for some days, he says, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So you see, these are things that are all coming together. In Psalm 69, it talks about, it's a, a lamentation. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach, this fasting. And I made sackcloth my clothing. So it's, it's, again, weeping before God. We, we read Joel and the same thing. There was desolation in Israel. And it's fasting with weeping and mourning. The people of Nineveh, jo, uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he proclaims this judgment of God. And the king of Nineveh, what does he do? He calls for repentance with fasting. So it's also a sign of repentance, turning back to God through fasting. And then there's a couple places, two places in particular, that it says what not to do, what fasting is not. One is in Zechariah chapter 7, and it says, uh, he says, the Lord says to Zechariah, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months of the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Why were you fasting? And he says that, the true fasting is to administer true justice, show mercy, compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. Then it says, they refuse to listen. And God kind of says, well, you didn't listen to me, so I'm not going to listen to you either now. And, and there was judgment as a result of that. The other one, and this is one that we came to our attention in Muslim countries because this is what you see during Ramadan, the month of fasting. In Isaiah 58, it talks about that. It says, the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit workers. Your fasting ends with quarreling and strife, striking each other with wicked fists. And he says, the fasting I have chosen is to loose the chains of injustice, untie cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, share your food with the hungry, Give the, the poor wanderer shelter and clothe the naked. So, so that's the thing. And what this shows us is that our motivation in fasting matters. And so he's saying it's not just to do these things. That, that really, God's saying, I don't really care much about doing it in itself. But it's why we fast. Our motivation, the, continue, the condition of our heart when we do this. And our fasting should lead to changed actions. And I, and I think the picture I have of this, these two here, is it's, it's kind of part of the law, an obligation that you do. And he says, no, 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 it's just not going through the motions. It needs to lead to a change of heart that then leads to a change of actions. Okay? So, so that's kind of the Old Testament fasting. In the New Testament, it's very different. It's, 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 there's several examples in the Gospels, and there's um, some in Acts of the Apostles and Paul and Barnabas, and it's not mentioned at all in the epistles. 
And the difference, I believe, is in the New Testament, we don't need to fast to, to put sackcloth and ashes and beg to be in God's presence. In the New Testament, we have a personal, eternal relationship with Christ. We're already living in His presence, and He's given us His Holy Spirit. He's not here with us, but He's left His Holy Spirit to be in communion with us every day and every minute of every day of eternity. And so it's no longer the same thing of being reconciled to God and begging for His mercy and forgiveness, but it's something that comes from this beautiful love relationship. And he is our Lord and Master. He's the bridegroom and we are his bride. And we want to come together with him in this time of fasting. So it's a, it's a very different thing. It's also, as we read in the verse, it, he didn't say if you fast, but he says when you fast. So it's just part of the normal Christian life. We go to church on Sunday, we read our Bible, we pray, we do a whole bunch of different things, and we fast. That needs to be part of our normal Christian life. It's not something for clergy that are locked away up in the mountain to do all day long. It's something that every Christian should do, according to what he says here. Um, there is a verse also in the, there's a verse that tells us how not to do it. And it's very interesting in Luke 18, it's the parable that you know of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector going into the temple. And as the Pharisee's walking in, he prays to himself, Dear God, I thank you that I'm not like these other bad guys, the executioners, the unjust, the adulterers, the sinners. And what does he say? He says, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. Do you see what it is? What's he doing? He's tithing. He's counting his mint leaves to make sure one out of ten. He's giving in obedience to the law. And he's fasting twice a week. So the Pharisee, I think he's kind of stuck in the Old Testament mode. that He's doing these obligations. And he's saying, oh, look how good I am. Because look at these things that I'm doing for God. And so Jesus says, no, no, no. This isn't how you do it. And this, little, this sinner guy... You know, his offering means more than the offering of the Pharisees. So we know that's not how to do it. The other thing that comes out in the New Testament is what is fasting tied to? It's very fascinating. It says in Luke 2, this is the story of Simeon when Jesus is presented as a young boy in the temple. And it says there was a prophetess named Anna. She never left the temple, but she worshipped day and night Fasting and praying. So for Anna, fasting was part of her worship. This is a way that she worshiped God and came close to God. And it, it, it's tied with prayer. And so, so that's one way is through worship. And then we'll see in Acts 13, it says the same thing. They were praying and worshiping God and fasting when they, they selected Paul and Barnabas. The other thing, and it's very interesting, is in Mark, it's in Matthew 9, just a few chapters after where we were, and it says um, they came up to Jesus, and the, this is in all three, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in very much the same story, and it says that they came to him and they said, well, why is it that your disciples don't fast and others do? And Jesus says to them, 
Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. So he said, well, I'm here physically with them. They don't need to seek my presence. They're here with me. I'm walking with them. But now he's not with us. We have the Holy Spirit, but he's not. And so fasting is a way that we see his presence. As I thought of this, the a thought came to my mind. And, and for you folks that are married, what came to my mind was after Kathy and I were married, the first day that we spent apart, the first night that we spent apart, do you, do you remember that day? I remember that day. I, we were in California, and I went on a trip. We'd been married about five or six months. <clears throat> and I went to my hotel room, and I was lonely. And I remember getting this big pillow and just hugging this pillow all night, thinking, Kathy's not there. What am I going to do? Kathy's not there. And I just hugged this pillow. And I say that because I think this is the image that Jesus has of the, the bridegroom is, is here. We don't need to fast, but when he's gone, then we need to seek his presence and we can do that through fasting. Well, you know, the interesting thing, do you know the passage that comes right after this about fasting with the bridegroom? You don't need to fast when the bridegroom's there. The next passage, it says, it talks about the new wineskins and the patch. The, the new patch on the old garment and the new wine and the old wineskins. And, and, you know, I'm not a theologian, but I think there's a connection between the two patterns of fasting here. And I think Jesus is trying to say, uh, trying to explain, this is the old system of fasting. We're now in a new system. And fasting is about seeking me and being in my presence as the bride and the bridegroom. And I think that's what he's saying through that passage. And so that, I think, is part of the, old, the New Testament fasting. The other ones are Acts 13 and 14. And um, that's where Paul and Barnabas are chosen. And so the, the application of fasting there is seeking God's will. And the church in Antioch, they, they, Paul and Barnabas were there. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Paul and Barnabas, and they did. And after they had fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them off. The next chapter, Paul is going through Turkey on his first missionary journey. And after he goes through all these churches, the end of chapter 14, it says, he pointed elders for each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord, and, and put their trust in them. So Paul applies the same thing that just happened to them before. He is seeking God's will through prayer and fasting. I'd like to, and, and so those are the examples. I don't know if you see a difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament of fasting. Um, I'd like to then say, you know, what's this relationship between prayer and fasting? Well, what is prayer? There are different types. Intercession, us coming before God to ask for something for somebody else. Petition, asking for things for ourselves. Worship and praise, acknowledging who God is. And then thanksgiving, thanking him for what he's done. And so I see fasting is almost a part of this, these types of prayer, different types of prayer. I see it as maybe a prayer accelerant or a prayer catalyst. And that's been true in my life. Um, Kathy and I 
take days and we fast, and I can't tell you how many times through this past year, amazing things just seem to happen on the day that we're fasting, and, and the Lord just moves and does things. So how do we fast? Well, in Matthew 6, it says, don't look somber. In essence, don't do it to be seen by people. I think still there is a purpose for collective fasting, but they're talking here about washing your face, acting like things are normal, and don't be obvious that you are fasting. Um, when I think of that, I think of a time, fairly recently I was meeting with an imam, and, um, and it was in his office, and I was fasting that day, and he said to me, please, I have these wonderful chocolates, take this chocolate, and I, it's perplexing, what do you say, you know? And, and then finally I said, no, no, thank you. You know, they're gonna force you, you're gonna have to have a chocolate. So finally I said, well, Imam, uh, I'm not eating today. And he got a big smile on his face and said, oh, I'm not either. <laughs> <laughs> and we put the chocolate away, we were both happy, that was good. That worked out really well. <clears throat> so, so again, it's not that you can't say that, but it's just that should be our motivation to be seen by others. So I see fasting as depriving ourselves of the need to focus on God's provision of who he, he is and that he is the ultimate provider. And so I will just conclude by saying there's different ways that I have fasted, and I'd just like to share that with you and then, and then challenge you. One is a 24-hour fast, and that's where I'll eat dinner tonight, and I don't eat all day tomorrow, and I drink a lot of fluid, and I take time apart to pray, and then I'll either eat dinner that next night or breakfast in the morning after, and eat. Sometimes drink a juice or something, but just drink a lot of water, and, and that's a one-day fast. The other is a two to a three-day fast, and very similar. And, and what I've noticed is after really day two, it, it somehow gets easier because your body, it just doesn't, it kind of shuts down or something. The doctors can tell us maybe what happens, but, but your intestines, I think, stop working. And you're drinking water, and that's good. And then, you know, if it's day four or five, I actually feel much better than I do other days as well. Um, one is a week fast, and then when I've done that, Kathy will boil carrots and vegetables, and I'll just drink the broth of the vegetables and drink liquids and water for uh, a week or so. Um, one time I was doing it for a long time, and Kathy decided to put bullion in it. And, and then we realized it had fat in it, and that was very bad. My, my intestines woke up, and it was very painful. So that's, that's not good. And there's a lot of books on how to fast and things to not do, and I'm sure doctors will explain that to you. And then as a 40-day fast, as, as Jesus did, and there was a time in my life that, boy, things were just really, my father was dying, and a lot of things were happening, and um, I just decided to do that. And I would sit at the dinner table with the kids at night and drink a, some, whatever it was, water or something. And um, I would say that it, it's a time of just really drawing much closer to the Lord than I have before. And God speaking in ways of just being aware of the sense. You know, in, in our lives, we, there's not a lot of our needs that go unmet. We have a place to sleep, food to eat, transportation, clothes. We have the general things we need. Fasting is a way to voluntarily say, I will do without a need 
not a want, but a need. And, and through that, it, it, you're more aware of, the, of God and his creation and the power that he is. And, and so um, I would say not to be afraid. I remember we were in a meeting in the Middle East, and this was in the early 90s, right after the 91, 92 Gulf War, and we were with an Iraqi couple. And we were giving uh, testimonies of different things. And the woman said, this has been such a great time. My fear, and this was a time where there was a serious embargo in Iraq. And she said, my fear was starving to death. And it was a real fear because there, there was a war and an embargo. And she said, but you know, God liberated me from that fear. I fasted for 40 days. And it was wonderful. I saw that I could live. And she, was, she said, I was totally freed from this fear of starving to death. And so, I would say that in, in different ways, God does things through the time of fasting. And it's something that I would encourage you all to do. As I was preparing uh, of what would be uh, application, I, I read an email from the vestry, and it's interesting that it coincided. And I would like to ask you to consider, during these 40 days of Lent, these next weeks, to do a, a day of fasting once a week. To just eat dinner at night, get up in the morning and just drink some liquids. And then maybe at lunchtime, instead of taking lunch, um, I've recently become more aware of the power of just praise, of just listening to worship music and focusing on God. So I would say at lunchtime, listen to some music, just not to intercede or pray, but just to focus on God and just worship Him. And then have a time of prayer for yourself, for others around you, a time of listening to God and asking Him what He wants to say. And you could do that all in 45 minutes, and, and it would be, I think, very effective. And go on your way and, and, again, drink fluids and either have dinner that night or the next morning. And I think that God really moves in these times of fasting. I think that God builds a lot into the church. And I would love to encourage you during this time of Lent, as we, we think more and focus more on Christ and what he's done for us, to, to do that, to take a day once a week for this time of Lent, to pray, a time apart to pray and fast. Let's just pray now. Dear Lord God, we just thank you for this wonderful thing you've given us of fasting. We can come close to you, we can worship you. I pray that as we fast, it would be a time of worship, of focusing on you and who you are and your creation. I pray that you would speak to us through time of fasting. I pray that you would encourage us through how you respond and answer our prayers. And I pray that you would cause our hearts to, to long more for the first love that we have in you and see that you are not our first priority, but you are our life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these wonderful things you've given us to draw close to you. It's in your holy name we pray, dear Lord. Amen. Amen.